Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, folks. This is April 1st, 2015. It's episode 59 of Main Exposed content of this show is for educational purposes only. Take it away, Dottie. Thank you, Leon. Good evening and welcome everyone to the program. I'm Dottie LaFortune, your host. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Merletti. Good evening, Phil. Good evening, Dottie. How are you? We're in for, I think, a good program tonight. Um, So too. And with us is Lise DuPont, researcher and author of where did the original constitutional state go? Uh, and Lise, are you there to join us? Yeah, right here. Good okay. evening. Okay. Hello. Okay. Um, just um, probably for the newbies that might be on the call tonight, uh, on these programs that we have every Wednesday evening, uh, we've been discussing Lee's and Phil's research and the changes within Maine's government since the original Constitution of 1820. And through the research that has been done, we've found that the time frame of 1970 to 1975, with the elimination of county attorneys and the changes in government departments, that this needed further exploring. And this led us to research into the departments and agencies within Maine government. And this 1971 document, and I put a link up on uh, in the chat room for you, uh, the document, State of Maine Governmental Reorganization, a summary of new departments and agencies approved by the 105th legislature, was discovered. And this report is our topic of discussion tonight. And and this report uh, that uh, Phil is going to go over uh, with us tonight, and you can follow along on the link. Uh, this pre- this uh, report states that it presents the bills relating to the main state government reorganization as passed by the 105th legislature and signed into law by Governor Curtis on June 23, 1971. As a package, they represent the most sweeping and comprehensive reorganization of Maine state government since April 2, 1931. And Phil, you've um, you've gone over this with a fine-tooth comb. And um, for anybody out there, if you have any questions or comments, if you're on the phone, press star 8 or put your questions, comments in the chat, and we'll keep track of you there. Mm -hmm. You've gone over this with a fine-tooth comb. What did you think when you first saw this report? Well, it it didn't mean anything to me in the beginning because I was off into uh, another series of of, uh, studies. But when I finally picked this up and I ran through it the first time, um, it, it kind of set my teeth on edge because 
what I witnessed reading this is uh, at least two to three different changes that were constitutional offices that they changed to statutory uh, departments. You can't do that. You can't take a, a constitutional office and create a statute and make a department by, by statutes. But anyway, before we begin, um, I just wanted to say this. I don't think there's anybody in the state of Maine who is a thinking person who doesn't realize there is something wrong with our government. has nothing to do with Democrat, has nothing to do with Republican, has nothing to do with the independents. There was something radically wrong, and it wasn't until I read through this that I realized that this is the key. This was the turning point in the main government. All right. Now, do you think that this is tied to a bigger picture, Phil? I'm, I would like to say yes, but uh, again, I can't prove that completely. Um, it, it, it's still up in the air right now, but uh, I'd like to find out if other states aren't going through the exact same thing that, that we did um, during the 70s. There were many changes, um, and, and I'm not going to get into those changes, but um, I did want to start off with saying that when when I opened up to the first real page, and even though the first page is not marked, it's just a subnote on the bottom that says that the preparation of this report was financially aided by a special comprehensive planning grant from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And I sat back after I read that and I said to myself, what what the heck is the U.S. government getting involved with financially aiding the people here in Maine uh, and, and, the, and the agency that's uh, financially aiding this is the is HUD, the Housing and Urban Development. How does, how does HUD get involved with creating departments in the state of Maine? Well, it didn't take long before um, it, everything started popping right out at me. Um, I I, I, I want to say that there were several committees that were created in order to create the investigations to to uh, make this a, a final document. It, it was called the State Government Committee, and when you really look into it, you find out that it's none other than the Legislative Research Committee, which is the precursor to what we have today of the Legislative Council. These are the ten most powerful men and women in the state of Maine. Nothing gets done unless they give a thumbs up. Well, it's this legislative research committee that uh, that uh, got the ball rolling here. And uh, I want to start off with that same paragraph that you just mentioned. All right, Phil, let me just mention, uh, I tried to put that link back up again. You'll have to scroll up, people. And I put the link to that document, and you can open that document, and you can follow along with Phil. Sure. And, and, now, and if you turn to page five, go ahead. I was just going to say, and if they have a question, they can, uh, you know, press star eight or uh, put put a question in, in the chat room. And I'll go over okay. this paragraph real quick, but if I slow down, then it's uh, it's an important section to, to really think about and remember. This report re represents the bills relating to the Maine state government reorganization as passed by the Maine 
105th legislature and signed into law by Governor Curtis on June 23, 1973, as a package. 1971. I'm sorry, 1971. As a package, they represent the most sweeping and comprehensive reorganization of the main state government since April 2, 1931. Well, I believe it was you, Dottie, who went back and, and looked that up. Maybe it was uh, Lise. Yeah, and I, I uh, looked it up and sent it to Dottie. Yes. Um, that, if, go if ahead. You could it, Dottie. I will I will put that I will put that link up to 1931. Yeah. Now okay. when you look at that you you'll say to yourself, well, that's no big deal what they did then and it really wasn't much of a big deal. But what they did here uh is a big deal. Uh I'll continue on there. They also represent an unprecedented uh, unprecedented example of executive legislative cooperation, I want to call that corruption, in this state on such a major governmental task. When when you look down halfway through the page, these are the departments that they created, the agriculture, uh, community and economic development, consumer protection, cultural resources, education, environmental protection, and by the way, it was during the 70s that Agenda 21 really started to formulate in the United Nations. Then we go on to the finance and administration, human services, manpower affairs, and transportation. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Why aren't you listing the Department of Public Safety? Well, we haven't got there yet. Oh, okay, sorry. Yep, these are the first first ten ten bills that uh, the the governor asked to uh, be created. All right, Phil, let me ask you something right there. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, because I'm hearing you over the computer and not my phone right now. Hmm. Okay, all right. There were ten departments. Yep. And and if you look at the 1931 Act relating to the administration of the state and the organization of the departments, they had four. Yes. So it went from four to ten. Yeah, and but then, even four was major way back in 1931. Oh yeah, at that time. Okay. But if, but if we come down to the bottom portion of page five, this is where we get into something that they really had no business getting into because these were not departments. These were offices, constitutional offices. Okay, now look at the 1931. Dottie, have you put, posted it yet? I posted the 1931, yes. Okay, if you look at the 1931 law, it says here, Article 1, Organization of Departments, Section 1, and what are they called? They're called Administrative Departments. Mm -hmm. There are hereby created and established the following Administrative Departments. So they have nothing to do with Article 3 uh, in the uh, Constitution of the State of Maine, which, which names the three constitutional departments. departments. So I just, wanna, I just want people to understand, we're in the administrative state, and we have been for a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead, Bill. If, if you look up uh, four, uh, let's go... 
up to uh, four four sentences before we end this, and it says, and they added two new departments of military and civil defense and public safety. Now, that, are you on the uh, I'm summary still on page report? five. I'm still on page five. I haven't okay. gotten off that page yet. So what they okay. did was they created two brand new departments on top of those ten. Um, They're listed on page forty. Right. Well, we're we're going to get to that, um, and that's a good thing to turn to right now is page forty. I think okay, we, let we me might get be there. jumping the gun just a little bit here, but that's okay. Let me get to forty. Okay. Uh, I am not moving my fingers quick enough. I don't think I have a page forty on this one. No, I nope. It's uh, on page forty-one. Can you hear me, Lee? Yeah, you're right. It is page forty-one. Right. Sorry. Okay, no problem. Um, can you hear me, Lee? I can hear you. Okay. Okay. It says ordered the Senate concurring a joint select special committee on government reorganization consisting of ten members, and we don't need to get into those ten members. But if you look down, um, well, probably one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, an act to create the Department of Public Safety, and then come down two more an act to create the Department of Military and Civil Defense. Now, why the heck would they create a Department of Public Safety when we already have the sheriff as the chief uh, law enforcement officer in the state of Maine? And we'll clarify that as we go down the line, but just keep that in the back of your mind. Public safety has to do with law enforcement. Phil, we have a question from uh, AIB. You want to take it right now? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. All right. Um, hello. Hello, Rod. How are you? Uh, good. Right now, I just raised my hand to let you know that I'm in. Um, okay. What you're saying, but your department okay. of, of public safety falls back under your state highway patrol or your law enforcement side of this. That's correct. But uh, we're going to tie this all in here. So just but, just keep that in the back of your mind that public safety is law enforcement. Hey Rod, will you stay on this call and then you might have something to add maybe that you know we don't know on this end. Will you stay on? Yeah, I, I can stay on because I can sit down and listen to what's going on, see what you guys are doing and stay up with you. Okay. Uh, okay, thank you. Keep me away. Go ahead, so. Okay. Uh, go down to two of them where it gets into the Department of Military. Now, the military is a constitutional office. They're all con- they're they're officers that are um, appointed by the governor, and now all of a sudden it becomes a department. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Okay, Phil, did you get the 1916 Constitution of the State of Maine that I sent you? Yes, I did. Okay, it continues to call to say that it's the militia. Yes. Okay, and and this Department of the Military no longer talks about the militia. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I just wanted to point that out. Even in today's Constitution, it still talks about the the militia. Yeah. 
Um, if, if you could jump to page 33. Okay, let us get to 33. And okay, I've got that, that law. Dottie, do you want it? Uh, I don't. Let, let me get back to Phil here a minute, please. 30, okay. th he wants us to go to 33. Yeah. Right. But I've okay. got the actual law. Okay. It's an act to create the Department of Military and Civil Defense. And if you'll bear with me, uh, when you come down to where it says Section 301 Department, there is created and established the Department of Military and Civil Defense to coordinate and improve the discharge of state government's responsibilities relating to the military, veterans, civil defense, and public safety. Now, why did they throw public safety in there? Let's continue. To consist of the Adjutant General and the following as here, heretofore created and established a military department, including the Office of the Adjutant General, the Department of Civil Defense and Public Safety, and the Department of Veteran Services. So they're throwing the public safety in this Department of Military and Civil Defense. Okay, uh, I, I just want to add something. If you look at the main revised statutes of today, uh, it's in Title 37B, and it's called Defense, Veterans, and Emergency Management. Mm -hmm. So this is where your public safety thing comes in. Right. Okay. I just want to point that out as you're doing things here. Now, if you turn the page to 34. Right. Next one right over. Section 2901, Department Commissioner. There is hereby created and established the Department of Public Safety. So now they're explaining what public safety is. To coordinate and efficiently manage the law enforcement responsibilities of the state of Maine to consist of the chief of the state police appointed by the governor and council. At that time, they still had a council to serve at the pleasure of the governor and council who shall be the commissioner to now, look again now, who shall be the commissioner of public safety? Who's the commissioner? It's the chief of the state police. Okay, now, I'm going to go, I'm going to tie it into what's happening today. It's in Title 25. It is now called Internal Security and Public Safety. And if you look at Chapter 351, uh, it's right here. It's under Part 8. And what is it under? Maine Criminal Justice Academy. Right there in Chapter 351, it says Department of Public Safety. Okay. Okay, and so, then underneath the next chapter, 352, is Emergency Services Communication. And then you have your drug enforcement and all that business, and law officers and law enforcement and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Because there were changes later on. Right. Okay, but it still go ahead. comes under public safety. Right. And the following, as heretofore created and established, the Department of the State Police. Now, if you've looked at the history of the State Police, you, you would know that the State Police began as 
the highway patrol or the highway police department. But in 1971, they now became uh, they they now became under the Public Safety uh, Act here, and uh, they come under the. And if you go back to the other page, 33, they come under the Adjutant General. Now, how the heck does that work? Rod, you got a comment on this? Uh, yeah. How does it come back in under the Adjutant General? Because he is the head of the militia. He is the head of the reserves in your state. Because you got to remember, your governor holds two hats. Well, that's true. He is governor and commander-in-chief. Your adjutant general is the head of the military for your state. You're right. Now, what happens, and I'm probably jumping the gun here a bit, what happens under martial law? You, you've got martial law, you've got the military, and now you have the state police under the martial law. What happened to the sheriff? Right, the sheriff is not mentioned here, and there's nothing about the county mentioned. Now the sheriff, the sheriff is is the chief law officer for each county. The sheriff is a is a uh, constitutional officer. Now all of a sudden, there are no longer any sheriffs in this plan. This is what they're doing across the the nation as they are secretly eliminating the sheriff's department because it was in Rhode Island. I think it was under uh, HR 841 where Rhode Island went in and stripped the sheriff of all of his capacity since he has no more authority to arrest than a private citizen out on the street. Uh-huh. They're stripping the sheriff departments, and they don't know it. Well, this this is where the problem comes in here is in, in the state of Maine, is the commissioner of the state police and the adjutant general are now uh, under the uh, public safety, or the public safety now comes under the adjutant general. Now, here's where the problem comes in, is that the state police, or I'm sorry, the sheriff's department, their main job is to protect our God-given uh, natural unalienable rights that come under Article Article 1, Sections 1 through 24. Whereas the state police, even though they've given the oath to, uh, to support both the U.S. Constitution and the Maine Constitution, they've never been trained under Article 1, Sections 1 through 24. So if we remove the sheriff from public safety, we've just taken away Article 1 and the secured rights that the people of Maine are supposed to have. Okay, now, what, what they've done is they have created their own private police force through the state highway patrol, because they're strictly under the governor. They're strict, they are strictly his law enforcement. If you go back and really understand that, they are his law enforcement, and his law enforcement only is supposed to deal with agencies, not the people. 
I want to read something to you, and I, I did a broadcast on AIB here the other night, and I brought up Title 28, Chapter 176, Section 3002, Definition. Right. Tell me that again. Wait a minute. Title 28. Title 28, Chapter 176. Yep. Section 3002. Okay. I'm Definition. Okay, what it says here down on Section 16 says U.S. Marshals means a United States Marshal, a Deputy Marshal, or an official of the United States Marshal Service designated under Section 564 under Title 28. Now, under Title 28, again, Chapter 37, Section 564. Powers as sheriff, United States marshals, deputy marshals, and other such officials of the service as may be designated by the director in executing the laws of the United States within a state may exercise the same power which a sheriff of the state may exercise in executing the laws thereof. Under the federal regulations, they only recognize two law enforcement, U.S. Marshals and the Sheriff. Mm -hmm. Whenever they created the, the governor and they started creating all their agencies and all their administrations, they created their own law enforcement strictly for their own administrative issues. It was never designed to be used against the people. That's right. Okay, mm -hmm. now I've got a law here. Uh, it is 1908, and Dottie, if you want it, I can send it to you so you can you can put it on your blog or send it out to everybody. And it says here, Chapter 204, an act to further amend the act entitled, an act to promote the efficiency of the militia and for other purposes, approved January 21st, 1903 be it enacted by the Senate and the House, and so on and so forth, that Section 1 of said act be in his, is hereby amended and reenacted to read as follows. Section 1, that the militia shall consist of every able-bodied male citizen of the respective states and territories and the District of Columbia and every able-bodied male of foreign birth who has declared his intention to become a citizen who is more than 18 and less than 45 years of age shall be divided into two classes. The organized militia to be known as the National Guard of the State, Territory, or District of Columbia, or by such other designations as may be given by the laws of the respective states or territories the remainder to be known as the reserve militia. Okay, now, now this is where the National Guard came in, in 1908. By 1916, the federal government had complete control of the state militias. Uh, you forgot one thing. You need to go back to the year 1902-1903 of the Dick Act, which is the Efficiency Militia Act. Right, but this is 1908, so this is five years after, after. the 19th, uh, two, uh, six years 
after the 19-2. This, is, this was another piece of takeover of the militia, and by 1916, eight years later, it had complete control of it. Why are they talking about state militias uh, with territories and the District of Columbia? Why is that? I'll put that in there together. You're Nobody back. has an answer? Yeah, you're falling back under the federal territorial side of this thing because what what a lot of you people, well, some of you people who listen to me, you do know, but some of your people on who may have never heard me before on AIB radio, I went through a historical background starting back at 1866, where the the states were sovereign, they were independent from Mm -hmm. the federal government. Uh, I didn't say the North, I said federal government. In 1867, they created what was known as the Reconstruction Act of 1867, and that is where the federal government walked into the southern states at gunpoint and told them, you will relinquish your sovereignty. You will become part of the federal system, like it or not, or we will shoot you. They actually shot over their heads to let them know they were dead serious. So they agreed to relinquish their sovereignty to take on the federal mantle. And this is where in 1868, that 14th Amendment, when it was created, it was to show where the federal government and the state government was unified under one system of that U.S. citizen. That's where they created that second citizenship. It did not have anything to do with freeing the slaves, giving them rights, making them the same as anybody else. Because if you go back and read the 14th Amendment, take your time. Most people can't get past Section 1 because that's the only thing that they are concentrating Mm -hmm. on. Read Section 2 and 3, because that 14th Amendment only applies to those who hold federal and state offices, from the president, vice president, legislators, down to the judicial, down to the governor, down to the state legislators, down to the state judicial, down to the military, down to the civil servant side of this thing. That 14th Amendment was the binding to the state, to the federal government, of a separation of sovereignty to the federal side of this. So, with, Phil, do you, Phil, do you think that this ties in here with a bigger picture? There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, again, I didn't want to get into this, but uh, that's fine that we have because this this kind of, um, how could I say this? This proves what we're saying, and it, it's Roger, right? Rod. Rod. Oh, Rod. Uh, Rod is bringing this other portion in here, which just solidifies what we're saying here. There was a complete takeover our, of our government, and, and they did it with statutes, and they did it by taking away uh, the, the power of the Constitution. This is the whole point. The thing of it is we're not dealing with a government because in 1871, when they created the District of Columbia, in Article 4, Section 3 of the United States Constitution, it allows them to create a state within two states. Well, it says state. It didn't say a city. It didn't say a corporation. 
And it didn't say a private corporation. It says a state. The District of Columbia is not a state. Mm-hmm. It's a territory, but it is a corporation. It's a city. When they did that, they moved our government out of New York down to that 10-mile square. They now hold a double standard of a corporation when it's most convenient and a government to claim constitutional rights that we have a right under the Constitution while they're misabusing this thing. But what a lot of people don't didn't realize in 1945, under the International Organization Immunities Act, Congress relinquished every single public office, bar none, over to UN jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. We no longer have a government for the people by the people. We're not dealing with a corporation. We're dealing with an international takeover because they placed it under the U.N. authority. And if you people will stop and think here, in Obama's first term around when Hillary Clinton was involved as Department of State, whenever Arizona and the legislation of Arizona passed the legislation on immigration laws, Hillary Clinton did not go to Congress to bring charges. Hillary Clinton went straight to the U.N. under the International Organization Immunities Act, and she brought charges against the governor of Arizona, the legislators of Arizona, and one sheriff department before the U.N. This is how they're getting away with this. We're not dealing with a government. We're dealing with a hostile takeover. And all these administrative agencies that they're creating is under their own association. has nothing to do with the people. Because if now, people Phil, have, let me ask you well, this, Phil. Well, go ahead. But I was going to ask Rod something, too, but go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. You ask Rod. Okay. Um, we're going fairly quickly through this here. Uh, I'm wondering if the listeners are keeping up with this, is there anybody out there that might have a question of Rod? Is, is, is anybody uh, coming on? I don't see any questions just yet, Phil, but I will keep an eye out. Because, but, see, this, this, this is pretty quick, and we're, we're bringing in a lot of information uh, coming in from all different sides, and, and I just don't want to overwhelm the listeners. And so I'm just going to say, don't be afraid to ask questions and jump in on this before we go much further. Go ahead, Dottie. That's right. You, Phil, get back now, if you would, to the to the document, because you know Governor Curtis, with his order, an executive order that he gave, uh, he he directed all state departments. This is on page 45. Mm-hmm. He directed. Um, all state department and agency heads to continue their review and examination of state programs and to actively toward the development of formal proposals for the statutory reorganization of Maine government. Mm-hmm. And that was an executive order by Ken Curtis, governor. That's right, and executive orders are internal only. Okay, Phil, why don't you get back to the document here? Uh, But Rod might be giving us, you know, another step where we can go from where we are. Okay, I'd like to talk about the the, the page uh, where Harvey, Senator Harvey Johnson, he was the chairman of this 
of this committee. Yep, there, there's two committees, the Legislative Research Committee and the Special Committee on Governmental Reorganization. If you uh, look on, page, on page 43. If you look on page 43, he was part of that committee. Yep, he was also the chair. Um, yes, yeah. it says he had joint select special committee on governmental reorganization, and he's listed right there um, uh, from Somerset, Maine. Notice also on that page while we're still there that they were mostly Republicans. A lot of people think Republicans are so nice uh, when, in fact, they are no better than the Democrats. I hear a lot of people knocking down Democrats, but take notice there were much more, many more Republicans in that committee of the state reorganization. But if you look at that letter that Harvey Johnson sent to the governor, the legislature, and the people of Maine. Give a page so the people can follow you on that one. Yeah, he said some pretty important things. What page? Uh, well, it doesn't have a page number, but I think it's the it's this it's it's the next page after what you read about HUD. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, that would be right up in the beginning. Housing and urban development. It's the next page. Uh, it's July seventh, nineteen seventy-one. Yeah, that's actually page two, believe it or not. Yeah, it doesn't say uh, what page it is. Yeah, but it is page two. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, and now it says here, uh, he talks about uh, the reorganization measures approved by the 105th legislature. 88 separate units of state government have been merged. Okay, the important thing that I, I don't want to read the whole thing, but the important thing that he mentioned was uh, they used the words reform legislation, which I think is important. He talks about further legislation, so after 1971, which I haven't investigated yet, but there must have been more laws that changed the government even more so. Uh, he talks about the voters of Maine, okay, to the voters of Maine. And now if you look, and I keep telling people over and over and over again, go look, go to your town office, ask for a Maine voter registration application and what are you going to see on there? You're going to see that there are two federally, not state, but federally required questions. The first one is, are you a citizen of the United States of America? That's not a 14th Amendment citizen. The 14th Amendment citizen is a citizen of the United States. This is a citizen of the United States of America. And, of course, the second question is if you are 18 years or older or will be on or before Election Day. But this is very important for people to go and look at this themselves. So what voters was he talking about when he said to the voters of Maine, because it, this voter application violates Article 2 of the Constitution of the State of Maine, and I'm talking about the original one of 1820. <laughs> The other thing that he mentioned uh, is he says here, only a first step, much more work will be done. Much more work will be done. So that tells me that, that uh, there's going to be more laws to, to continue in this process of reorganization. And then the other thing that he says in this, in this little letter here, further sessions of this and succeeding legislatures. So that means 
future legislators were going to uh, take care of this type of thing. Phil, I'd like you to get back into uh, the report. Okay. Um, with with some, you know, questions that you have or concerns about this report. Okay, let's go to page 36. And and this is another important page. Um, if if you if you see here, these are special agencies of the executive branch. Um, they mentioned the Indian Affairs, the Personnel Department, but we get back to the Department of Military and Civil Defense. The mission statement that they give here to coordinate and improve the, the discharge of the state government's responsibilities relating to the military, veterans, civil defense, and then we bring in that public safety under the heading of Department of Military and Civil Defense. Now, what I did was, well, then, then you could go right down the line here. It says agencies include Office of the Adjutant General, and then the other two departments, you could, uh, you could forget the Department of Veterans Services, uh, but you go right down to the next one, Department of Civil Defense and Public Safety comes under the Adjutant General. Okay, all right. And go, go look at today, after reading that letter from Harvey, today it's under Title 37B, uh, Main Revised Statutes, Defense, Veterans, and Emergency Management. Mm -hmm. Is this how FEMA comes into the state? Yes. Okay, there you are. They made changes after this 1971 uh, document that we're, we're investigating tonight. Uh, and, remember, 1971 was 44 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, go now, ahead. Okay, now, now all, of the, all of these people on the committee, you know, like one of them, uh, I think, was Sawin Millett, and he he's, was still around till, uh lately. I mean, didn't they realize what they were doing by putting this together? Do they? Do any of the legislators know what they're doing today? <laughs> I mean, okay, no, think, think I answered my just, own just question. Related to to the legislators today. And unfortunately, you could throw in there the local police departments, the state police departments, and, 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 and even the, the uh, sheriffs. None of them have ever read the Constitution. I've yet to find a legislator or a uh, law enforcement officer who've read the Constitution. This scares the heck out of me. I, uh, the thing of it is, you've got to remember something here, is that Majority of this stuff that is wrote up, is it actually written up by your legislators or is it written up by a law firm signed off by a legislator? There you go. There you go. And you could throw in the Main State Bar Association along with that. Yeah, right. Which, which was created in 1891 unlawfully. Mm hmm. You okay. had an outside private firm write their stuff up and pass it off as it was done by the legislation. If you can go back and actually check it, you would probably find it was done by a private law firm. Well, you'll, you'll, uh, if you go back in, in, uh, to, into the archives on, on a couple of our shows, we get into a group called ALEC. And, and I, it's an acronym, and I can't remember the darn name, what it really means, but it's a, it's a bill mill of of uh, corporations that have come together and what they do is they solicit various legislators here in Maine 
and the various corporations have their lawyers writing up these bills, and these legislators take these bills, introduce them into the uh, committees that they're on, and get them passed. All right, so what? So if you stop and think here, what you have is you got a private law firm creating a bill which makes this a private bill, mm-hmm. not a public bill. And there's a distinct difference because this goes back into the 1899 of an act providing general corporate law where Delaware Trust, Wilmington Trust, and the Corporate mm-hmm. Trust Company of the United States went into Delaware. They created a, a general private law that allowed the corporation to be a person right. without being a natural person, and that was a private law strictly for corporation. Mm-hmm. It was not for public use, and this is what is happening here. When you have private law firms writing up this stuff, these are all private bills for private administrations. Exactly. It can't apply to the people because your legislators aren't writing this stuff up. Yep. And the people don't even know that this is going on every day. You would actually have to hang out and, and, and uh, hang out in the halls of the legislature and actually participate in these uh, committees and the presentations that, that people give. Uh, no one really knows what's going on there, not even the legislators, and I'll tell you why, is that of all the committees that are working, they don't know what the other committee is doing. And it isn't until a bill passes a committee that it reaches the full full House and full Senate, and then they're only given a few sentences as to what the bill really means, and they pass them so fast that you can't even keep up with them, and many of them are just passed by the gavel. Okay, okay. that's the same thing that happens in Congress. Yes. Okay. They're only giving a, a, a little synopsis of what it's all about and so on and so forth, and they really don't know what's in there. Like Obamacare is a very good example of that. They didn't know what they were voting on. Right. All right. The thing of it is, what you're dealing with here is the Jefferson's manual and the Senate manual. If you get in and you read the Jefferson's manual, it goes in and it flat out says is that any bill created, passed, into Congress, it has to be read on the floor three separate times in its entirety to be passed, and three times to through the Senate. So when they're coming in and they're just banging the gavel, that law has never legally been passed. That's correct. That is a private bill. Again, it's not public. That's correct. We're we're trying to put a bill in this year, uh, so so that eventually it will be heard that you can no longer pass any bills by the gavel. Oh, that's good. Okay, let's get back to the document. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yes, Phil, go back to the document. Okay, um, we're still on page uh, thirty-six. If if you notice, uh, when we get down to the Department of Public Safety, this is their mission statement to coordinate and effectively manage the law enforcement responsibilities of the state of Maine and to promote the safety and well-being of Maine citizens. It goes on to say agencies included Department of State Police, Enforcement Division of State Liquor Commission, 
Warden Service of the Department of Inland Fisheries and Game, Coastal Wardens of the Department of Sea and Shore Fisheries, State Representatives and Employees of the Vehicle Equipment and Safety Commission, Division of State Fire Prevention of the Department of Insurance, Maine Police Academy, what the heck happened to the sheriff? That's right. What happened to the sheriff? So, Phil, with with what you have here, what's the chain of command with law enforcement as it stands? Well, the the sheriff is the chief law enforcer of each county. That's right. So how can they do this without including the sheriff? The sheriff doesn't even know this happened. Okay, so as it stands, the way that they have it set up, who's at the top? Who is at the head of the... uh, chain of command the adjutant general and then the commissioner who is the chief of the the state police that's right okay now here's another thing with the sheriff he is a commissioned officer yep uh he has to post a bond and he has to provide two to three sureties of which none of them today have a commission they don't post bonds and they don't post any sureties so what kind of sheriffs do we have well, the sheriffs think that they're full sheriffs, and you know, I want to recognize them as a full sheriff because they're in the Constitution. The state police is not in the Constitution. That's right, and the state police don't have to be commissioned. That no. is statutory and not constitutional, but the sheriff must be commissioned. So, so did you take this to the any sheriff yes, department? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, I tried to create a meeting before today, because I didn't want to air this until they understood completely what this was all about. Uh, I met with Sheriff Liberty, uh, Kennebec Sheriff, or the Sheriff of Kennebec County. I met with him last Wednesday and explained this to him, and he says, call my office and set up an an appointment. Now, you've got to understand, right now the sheriffs are, are, are being distracted with um, having to pay the bills for the jails and being promised by the state to cover the monies, but now the state is not covering the bills uh, at the jails. So the sheriffs are, are banging on the desks uh, at the state house, trying to get the the money to uh, to to pay the bills. Uh, so, can I say something here a minute? Go ahead. Uh, what what you're reading here, and I'm following through with you. If you stop and think about this on common sense. What they have done is they have created their own administrative law enforcement yes, sir. to deal with their own administrative agencies. There's not one thing in there that you've read that deals with the people. It's all about their own administrative enforcement. That's why they're not mentioning the sheriff. The sheriff is for you and I. Everything you read deals with the administrative side. This is their administrative law enforcement. Not well, that, that needs to change. Now, I met with Sheriff Liberty, and he's really interested in this. He said at that time, he says the president of the Sheriff's Association is in the room there, but he was busy uh, dealing with the legislators, so he says, set up a meeting. So what I did was I, I, I went home, called up the Kennebec County Sheriff's Department, the uh, Sheriff uh, Mary from uh, from Satahawk, who's the president of the association, and also my own uh, 
sheriff and um, wasn't able to, to get a meeting set before today because they're awful busy on this jail thing. But I, I wanted them to understand completely what was going on here, so I let them know about the radio show tonight. They may be listening in right now, and I hope they do so that we don't have to go over this again and again and again. Uh, I, I gave them a link so that they could um, print this document out, and I pointed out the important pages, and this is one of the important pages for them to to, to read. And I hope they come to the same conclusion that I did, is that they've worked the sheriff out. Now, there's another uh, little story here that you might want to want to hear, is that um, you, uh, the the listeners know that we met with the governor for 16 hours at, at uh, over a period of eight eight months or so, and um, I invited Sheriff Liberty to attend one of those meetings with the governor, and I asked the governor point blank, what would happen if there was martial law. In this, that the state of Maine was asked to produce martial law, um, what would you do? And he says, over my dead body, that's not going to happen. He says, I run the state here. I am the governor. And I expected him to say that because he, he's a gutsy guy, and I would stand behind him on that. And I was glad he did say that. Then I said to him, uh, are you talking about engaging the uh, – the Tenth Amendment, and he says, most definitely, we've done this before. And he says, I'm not afraid to to uh, use the Tenth Amendment. Then I looked over to my right, because I was sitting between the governor and, and Sheriff Liberty, and I said to him, what do you think about this? Where do you fit into this? And um, he says, well, we come under FEMA. I said, wait a minute. FEMA is MEMA. So you're telling me that you take orders? from MEMA? And he says, well, no. And I said, well, I would hope not, because you are the the law enforcement officer of Kennebec County. I would think that MEMA would come under you. And he had this curious look on his face. Now, at that time, I wish I had this document. We knew, we knew that the sheriffs did not uh, uh, control the county if there was martial law, or if there was a civil defense problem, or if there was a need uh, for the military to come together, they would just push the sheriff aside. They would engage their own people and the state police. Now, right. now that I have this document, now I can prove to Sheriff Liberty exactly the point that I was trying to make then is that he does not control the uh, counties in the eyes of the administrative uh, processes that are that are created today. The governor doesn't even know this. I wish I could produce this to the governor so that he would understand what's going on. Now we can prove it. This document is the key. Okay, and the other thing, too, is that we're, we're really under a federal rule. Uh, federal law supersedes state law and all this sort of thing. Okay, but when you were talking about uh, martial law and all this kind of thing, see, we were already under martial law here in the state of Maine in 1879. Right. They had that election fraud. And Joshua Chamberlain, that everyone seems to think he's so nice, when you start looking about deeper into his story, you find out that in 1879, this guy uh, controlled uh, the, the whole state capital was surrounded by men with guns, and they were ready to shoot. 
because in that case, he did every possible thing to prevent bloodshed. Uh, but I do write about him and his fraud of that 1868 fraudulent law um, uh, when, when they created the Kennebec County County Court and, and so on and so forth. This parts of that law is fraud, and I do write about that in my book. But this 1879 martial law, I thought he did a pretty good job to prevent bloodshed. But the point being is that it was the military, the militia, that was in control. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we and and this and this time, if we ever have martial law, it's going to be under federal rule. Right, unless unless we have a governor that has the guts to use yeah. the Tenth Amendment, and he says, "Over my dead body." Okay, well, that's... and then and then he has the sheriff, all, all all sixteen sheriffs working under him, and then they tell the state police. You come under us. That's right. Now, okay, now uh, we are to, running out of time here, and yeah. I do want to say something. Since Lise, we can go over if we need to a little bit. Yeah. So don't rush it so that okay. people lose it. Okay. Oh. Now, uh, I do want to say this, is that another bill that we're trying to pass right now is to refocus the attention of the Sheriff's Department being the uh, chief law enforcer for each county. And what we're trying to do is to make the state police subservient to the sheriffs. And, and, and uh, what I mean by that is right now the state police do what they want in the state of Maine. They could go to any county they want without any permission of the state police. And not that they should really get it because they should be working together, but the state police should realize that it is the sheriff's responsibility for that county. And what we want to do is to bring back that recognition. So we are uh, creating a bill to to bring back the recognition of the authority of the sheriff in each county. That's right. Okay, I want to get back to the document for a moment. Uh, And since we're on page 36, go to page 37. And this is the public law that uh, created the Department of the Secretary of State. Remember, originally, the Secretary of State operated in the Executive Department, one of the three departments that was created by the Constitution of the State of Maine mm-hmm. of the 20. Notice in here on page 37, they have that different enacting clause that came about fraudulently in 1907. Okay, and then if you continue on, it says here, the Department of the Secretary of State, remember, this is statutory, as heretofore established shall consist of the Secretary of State, Maine Archives, State Archives, Bureau of Watercraft Registration, Safety, Snowmobile Licensing, Department of Inland Fisheries, and so on and so forth. Okay, where you're going to find that today, you're going to find it in Title V. Remember what Title V is about, Title V, Maine Revised Statute. It is administrative. Remember, I keep telling people we're in the administrative today. We're not under the Constitution, even though we do have a Constitution, but we're under the administrative state. Some people call it the corporate part, but I call it the administrative. Title V is Administrative Procedures and Services. And what do you have in Section 81? The Department of the Secretary of State. There mm-hmm. it is. Yep, they they took a constitutional office. And it's a constitutional it into a, office that's been converted 
to a statutory office, which is fraud and treason against oh, a statutory department. It's the statutory department that they created in 1971. Right. Well, Somebody um, has a question. Um, someone has a question here. Uh, let's see, guest 18. Guest 18, and then we have another one. Raw, Jason, Roth, Jason. Uh, let's take guest 18. Your question? Yes, I was wondering if Lee Toucan is part of the Illuminati too. Jeez, you got me, partner. Um, that's a different issue, and I don't even know if I want to get into it today. Uh, that might be a good, good show to have if somebody is wanted Maine to come on here. Is part of the Illuminati with Lee Toucan? <laughs> you're not going to get me to say yes or no because I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, I, I don't okay. know anything about it either. Okay, I'd like Already. to be able to answer Thank your you. question, partner. Thank you for, for asking it. Um, all right, we have, uh, let's see, somebody's asking, I, what's what all that, that noise? What is that noise in the background? What is that noise, Leon? Leon? Are you there, Lee? Yeah, I'm here. I don't know what it is. Okay. All right, then uh, mute out guest 18. It's probably coming from there. Somebody is saying, I'd like to speak about how I can help it to expose Maine. Uh, press star 8 on your phone and we'll bring you in. All right, se guest 17 has a question. Guest 17? Hello, I have a question about Maine. Yeah? Uh -huh. Yeah, how was Maine started? How was Maine started? Like, why would you like to expose Maine? What was Maine's main excuse to be exposed? Well, we are exposing Maine um, uh, uh, bit by bit, uh, brick by brick. Um, how about this? How about we expose 9-11 and Illuminati? So to Spooky fam, shout out to Toucan, Toucan, Spooky for Mod, Spooky for Mod. I don't yeah, I'm not hearing him too well. He's I don't fading. even know what the question is, is that he's asking. I keep hearing about the Illuminati. This isn't a show that's... Talking right. about the Illuminati. So yeah, this is not about the Illuminati tonight. No. Okay. Right. Um I do want to say one more thing here before we get to any more questions. Um you know, in, in researching other things you always find something else that that might relate to it. I was trying to find when the Secretary of State's uh office became a department. So I asked the uh few few of the people at the library there in Augusta to to look at this information and and uh, and they sent to me a a uh, a law that was passed in 1963 and um, the way this was explained to me is a lot of time a a lot of times a bill is not created however uh, legislators have the ability and the right to throw in uh little articles or or little little pieces that eventually get accepted in a bill that has nothing to do with the rest or 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 to 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 do with that bill and um how they do this it's called an act to correct errors and inconsistencies in the public law so what they'll do is they'll throw in a a section that will amend a previous law so what I was trying to find out was uh, when the Attorney General's office actually became a, uh, a department. But as reading through this, I saw another section here that says, 
the Secretary of State shall be the executive head of the Department of the Secretary of State as heretofore established, and shall keep his office at the seat of government, have the custody of the state seal, and preserve all records in such office at the expense of the state. So as early as 1963, the the secretary became the executive head of the Department of the Secretary of State. And this was thrown in on this garbage bill, which has probably about 15, 20 different uh, changes in, in the law. And this is when they made the Department of the Secretary of State was back in 1963. Okay. With, now, without even uh, having a bill. Look at Title V. Look at Title V. It says, it says section history. This is Department of the Secretary of State. It says 1965, 1967, 69, 1971, 1973, 1975, uh, the one that's mentioned in this document. I've yeah. got that. If, if uh, Dottie wants that and post it or whatever, because yeah. it is right here in the document, it yeah. says the same thing, except it's just part of the uh, the law itself. But this was in 63, and so okay. this is this is how they created a department, by wow. just throwing it in there under an erroneous bill called... Uh, an act to correct errors and inconsistency in public laws. Wow. Okay. And so that's how they snuck that in. That's how they snuck it in. There was no committee. There was no committee hearing. Uh, I asked for any type of committee discussion or dialogue, and he says there is none on this. Wow, because the legislature is required to keep a journal. Yeah. Okay. Why does it not say in Title V under the Secretary of State, uh, statutory office. It doesn't say anything about 1963. No. Nope. It says 65. I ought to get nope. that law. These these these. Uh, somehow they made some changes from 196. Well, here 65 to 71. They might they made some changes, and I don't know what that is. This is extremely criminal. Uh, what they're doing there. Read my book. I mean, I, yep. I, I show you the different things that they've done over the years. Uh, and 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 actually, the first law that's fraudulent is 1821. So it didn't take long. No. It Phil, didn't take we long have, for fraud to permeate the the government of, of of Maine. We have a couple of questions or comments from people. Uh, okay, so let's, let's take let's them. Okay, Jason, Rolf, Jason. Hello. Hi. Hello. Yes. Question or comment? Hello. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to talk about a law that I can help expose here. I was just doing some research. Do you know about the um, Maine Criminal Code 17A section? No, what is no. it? Go ahead. Okay, um, it basically talks about people abusing animals, which you would think it's an animal bill, right? But if you read down through it, there's – I don't know how they got this in there. There's a, a section that states that if a police officer is to see someone, even it says even touching an animal he deems inappropriate – he may beat the person, even strike or tase. Wow, what year was this produced? 
Uh, I'm looking up the criminal code. It's uh, I don't know what year, but it's uh, Title 17-A. It's Chapter 31. Yeah, it sounds a bit archaic and barbaric, something that might have gone on during the uh, 1800s. Yeah, and they could still use this code today. So if you touch a, uh, a cop dog, they could tase you and beat you and arrest you. And it was, uh, I guarantee you, this was uh, by probably the Secretary of the State to do this, something like this. Well, that, 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 that might have been the preliminaries for bestiality. No, We're already saying uh, a blue law. It's the criminal card for interfering with, uh, it says unlawful interference with law enforcement dogs. It says you can't even be within 30 feet of them or be subject to punishment. Isn't that amazing? I wonder if you that, could send that to Dottie. What's that? Could, could, could this guy send it, this law to you, and then you could send it to the rest of us? Yeah. I, I can find it. 17A, Chapter 31. Yes, uh, it's uh, Part 2 in the Substantive Offensive. And if you scroll down, there is actually a little section that makes the bill unrepealable, meaning it cannot be um, repealed. No, all, all bills can be. There's, there's no such thing as a law set in stone. Even the Constitution could be changed under certain conditions. Mm. And how did they add that? How did they get that into the code? That's very yeah, surprising well, what, to me. What, what, what they put in there doesn't necessarily mean that, that that's the way it's going to stay. Well, look, mean, if thank you scroll you down much. to no, thank you chapter thirty-two, it talks about niggers and spooky birds, spooky for mod, spooky for mod, spooky for mod. We're not going to get into niggers, that. Niggers, niggers, niggers. No, no we okay, don't want to see you later, We got one more. What? Unrated account. Unrated account. Yes. Question, comment? Oh, yeah. I was just, you know, I just moved to Portland, Maine, and, you know, I was reading up on some of the laws. And under Title Nine of Banks and Financial Institutions, right? Yeah. Chapter 91, it reads that, um, you know, retailers, they get 25% of, what you should actually get, which I find is disgusting because I work at the Safeway in Portland, right? Well, we're not talking Title IX, though, tonight. We're talking about this document. Do you have a question on the document? Oh, yeah. Um, it was written in the 60s and 70s, correct? Yes. Okay, which chapter are you talking about? Um, The one that reads, let me see. Spooky for mod, spooky for mod, nigger, 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 nigger. We're gonna go back to the uh to the document, Leon, right now. Thank you. You know, um, where are these people coming from? Uh, he just I, mentioned Portland, that kind of explains some of the things there, but uh yeah, I well, just wanna let the public know that when a person calls in, we're not responsible for what they say and we'd have no way, no way at all to bleep them out. That's yeah, Leon. Leon has uh, he got rid of somebody already, but uh, we won't take these calls here right now. Okay, let's end Phil. This. Let's just get back to this document. And bottom line, with with this document here, the sheriff is out of the picture. Yes, the the, the sheriff is out of the picture as far as this goes. But we have to remember that this is nothing but statutes. This That's in right. no way at all can ever supersede the main constitution and as long as we have a governor who recognizes the tenth amendment the people of the state of maine the legislature in maine the sheriffs in maine and any law enforcement officer who's given an oath to support the u.s constitution and the maine constitution 
what we need to do is to overlook this here and understand that we have a constitution and we need to force everyone to follow it and not to follow uh, statutes that take away from the rights of the people uh, that are given by God and that are protected through our constitutional uh, constitution. That's right. Okay, the other thing I want to mention before we go here, on page 45, the executive order by Kenneth Curtis, uh, Governor Kenneth Curtis, the, the first uh, paragraph, uh, it says here, the Legislative Research Committee has joined with the executive department in a project aimed at preparing legislation for governmental reform and reorganization. See, the legislature and the executive department were in cahoots together to bring about this, uh, this fraudulent uh, governmental reorganization. Uh, and I talk about this in my book, how the different departments get together instead of acting like rivals, they mm-hmm. act in cooperation with each other, and then they overturn uh, constitutional law. And so, these, so it's right here, right in this first paragraph of the executive order. You know, I did want to say something about what you just said here in, in that first uh, sentence. Yeah. The when now the the council was still in power here, the executive council. I'm kind of curious as to where the heck were they at this point? They were supposed to be working with the governor, and all, all this was supposed to have been eight men were supposed to have been uh, in, in working together. Where the heck were they? Yeah, but why were they in cahoots with the legislature? It doesn't make sense. No, well, it does to me. If you read my book, you're going to see that this is a pattern that's been going on for, uh, you know, 150 years, 160 years, so on and so forth. You know, it says here, has joined with the executive department. They're in cahoots together to overthrow uh, constitutional law one more time. Yes, right. You know, so I want to point that out to people. Well, look, I want to to kind of end this um, saying that this was a horrible, horrible document uh, to, be, to have been created because it wipes the sheriff right out of the picture here. And, yeah. I, and I think once the sheriffs realize what has happened to them, maybe the sheriffs can get together with the governor and do something about this. And, and maybe somebody can create some, some legislation to reorganize and restructure the, 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 this whole uh, Department of Military and Public Safety and right. separate them. Right. Well, this is, this is really um, a revelation um, in, in this document. And these people who took part in this, I mean, some, I think, are still there in office now. Why, why shouldn't they be confronted then and asked about this? Well, do you know of any names that might be recognizable here, either you, Lise, or Dottie? Uh, yes. Um, yes, on which page? Let's go back page? to page 43, um, and, and I believe page 8 also has another committee. I want to know if any of these people are alive today. Well, yes, they are, Lise. Yeah. 
Yes, I know her. Hang on. Millet is because I went to the Maine Heritage Foundation and had an argument with him. You and I were there that day, uh, Dottie. And I had okay. an argument with this guy. Uh, you know, and he was the head of the Department of uh, uh, Administrative and Finance. What is that? Oh, Finance and Administration. Although he didn't, he didn't sponsor that one, but he he later. You're talking about Sawin Millet. Yes. Sawin Millet. Okay, he's listed on page 44. Yeah. So, you know, during this uh, governmental reorganization, he was a sponsor um, in, uh, of LD 1662, an act to create a new Department of Education. This kind of thing is what Charlotte's talking about. Yeah. And Sawin Millet is still alive. Uh, he just recently retired as yep. Commissioner of the Department of Administration and Financial Services. Right. Okay. But Millet also worked under the administration of John McKernan, um, Angus King, James Longley, and Governor Brennan. Mm. And then he was uh, in the legislature, um, the House from 69 to 72, and then again from 2002 to 2010. But you know, he when he got out of the um, the house, now he's he or he was, you know, this commissioner. But then on 44, again, there's an LD 1613, an act to create the Department of Human Services. That was John Martin back then. Well, John Martin's been there for well, 50 years or more. I think there's only one term he didn't get voted in. <laughs> He got voted back in this last election. Right. So, yes, John Martin is alive and well. And, and, and what's he was that? behind creating LERC, who yes, uh, we, we tried to repeal LERC uh, because uh, LERC is in bed with the United Nations and Agenda 21, and he came forth that day and convinced the committee to not repeal Lurk. Could you imagine the power that this man yields, John Martin? Well, you know you know how much power and corruption is behind somebody by the number of years they've been there. Yes. Okay, and now so, the Department of Human Services was John Martin sponsored. It used to be called, I did investigation on mm-hmm. um, some of this, it used to be called the Board of Health, and mm-hmm. it was all local control. Yes. Selectmen were the ones in control, uh, and they knew you if you had a contagious disease. Uh, uh, you had to be you. They they, they had to. Uh, they were required to separate you from from your family, but yet they took care. They, they made sure that there were people that took care of you. You are more taken care of at the local control than you are coming from the state. But but anyway, that's beside the point. I did an investigation on that, and and a lot of it, uh, all of it, was local control. And now well, why the, why can't these people be approached? And the Department of Human Services, all their all their rules and regulations and and so forth comes from the state. See, this is another state takeover. Yep. It's a centralization of power coming from the state instead of the power coming from the people, as Article 1, Section 2 says. Well, I think we ought to take some time out to see if any of these people are still alive and see if we can't make some kind of contact with them to see if they understood what they were doing, number one. Yeah. And um, I I think it would be interesting. 
But yeah. I, I think we need to bring this to an end. Um, before we leave, I'd like to say that um, April 8th, um, we need to bring some people to Augusta uh, concerning the constitutional carry. Uh, so plan plan your day for, uh, you know, ahead of time for that. And um, also on the 9th is a uh, hearing also on Agenda 21, which is the um, the uh, the United Nations involvement in the state of Maine here. So those two days, if you could put on your calendar, the 8th for constitutional carry and the 9th on um, the United Nations Agenda 21. Right. Well, that fits right in with what we were talking about tonight, Phil, yes. because doesn't this all fit in with it Agenda 21? Does. It most certainly does. Um, well, the sheriffs need to understand this, too. Well, I'm definitely going to be uh, getting back to the sheriffs. They, like I said, they're up to their armpits right now and trying to fight uh, to keep the jails uh, going and to uh, get the finances that the state of Maine promised them. Uh, they're they're interested in this. They just don't have the time at the moment. So, well, but maybe they are going to have to start fighting for, for their to keep their job. Yep. <laughs> let alone the jails. Without their job, there will be no jail. Yeah, but they do have a job. It's just that they're they've lost their power. Yeah. Well, they didn't lose their power. The thing is, they're making them think they lost their power. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, I, it, I spoke to a sheriff out in uh, Augusta. I'm not going to say uh, who it was at the time, but he thought that the state police had the same power that that he did. And I said, no. He said, well, didn't they get the right to? enforce all laws in 1926 and i said yes they did get that right by statute they did not get the right as being the chief law enforcer through the constitution they got their right through statutes and he says i don't understand that oh my god this is the problem that they have is they don't understand that this is one of the reasons why i created a curriculum for the sheriff's department and as soon as they start understanding what this is all about, I think they'll be able to give better service to the citizens of Maine, and I think they'll feel proud for what they do. Right. Well, Phil, you did a really good job, uh, you know, going over this document with a fine-tooth comb. Well, uh, there was a lot it's more not to pretty. it, but I didn't want to get into the other areas because I wanted to get into the sheriffs because... Um, they're they're our protectors, and we need to we need to watch out for them. We need to protect them. They need to protect us. Well, and they have to understand there's a bigger picture. There's there a, pi- a bigger, bigger picture, and that they have to understand that and and fight to to, to stay local. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm done. Phil and Lise, thank you uh, very much for all your info. And uh, maybe we can tie this in, you know, off the call here while we're doing our research, tie it in with the the federal part of this yep. because it's a picture. I want to thank all of you for coming in tonight, and we will see you next week. One more thing. What? I want to say please don't judge us by the people who call in because we we have no control over people who call in, and I hope no one was offended by those people. Absolutely. We, you know, we, there were quite a few guests, but we put this out so people would come in. But th- there's always some in a crowd, Phil. There's always some. But 
All we got to do is delete them and they're gone. It just shows, just shows <laughs> what type of people are out there. Well, we need people that are going to be on the same page and help yep. help with the research. And if anybody comes up with anything, you know, send it along to us yep. in, with whatever, you know, hopefully you find out there. Okay. With that, we'll say good night. And we'll good night all. Wait. All righty. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.